you going? Heard a few goods. That's good. If you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. My name is Troy. I can see a few new faces out there. So welcome. We love having you here. As Kevin said before, we're coming to the end of the time in our book, of looking at the book of Romans. And so, yeah, we've been on a long journey. And so if you haven't read the book of Romans before, take this opportunity, if today sparks your interest, to go home and read it. Let's pray and get into chapter 15. God, our Father, we thank you for the faithful men and women who have taught your word throughout history and preserved it until today. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who was passionate and who wanted to share the gospel with everyone that he could. And we pray that you would help us by his words now Uh, to inspire us into a great passion for Jesus and his gospel going out. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine for a moment that someone says this to you about their church. We are not focusing on outreach much at the moment because we need time to build ourselves up first. What would you say to this person who said this? Perhaps you'd say, yeah, that sounds smart. If you're not built up and strong as a church, how can you share the gospel with people out there? But perhaps you could also say, well, if you've got the gospel, what more do you need? The plain and simple fact is people need to hear about Jesus. If you've got the gospel, you can reach out to others with it. And that raises an important question, doesn't it? What is the job of the church? Is it the church's job to stay in here and build up fellow Christians? Or is it the job of the church to reach out to everyone they can out there? Or is it both? Or is it okay for the church to do just one of those things and not the other, even if it is just for a time? Well, I think this chapter of Romans gives us some insight into this. Paul sheds some light on this question for us. So far in the story of Romans, Paul has given the Christians in Rome so many encouragements to build each other up, hasn't he? He said, love one another. Do good for fellow Christians. Care for your brothers and sisters in need. Accept one another and do not criticize. Each one of you must please Someone, each one of us must, must please his neighbor, not himself, for their good to build them up. He said, give up your rights and freedoms for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's been challenging stuff, right? But now, Paul broadens the picture a little bit and encourages the Romans not just to look inward at themselves, but to look beyond themselves. And he tells us, what's the church's job? First of all, by telling us what his job is. And he tells us about his past and his purpose. So let's have a look. He starts by saying in Romans 15, verse 14, have a look. I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness. He says, you are full of good deeds, full of godliness and love for each other that spring from your faith in Jesus. Then he says, Filled with all knowledge. You know the life-giving gospel. You know how to live it out. And then he says, 
able to instruct one another. You have everything that you need to go on being a church, encouraging each other, instructing each other, pointing out Jesus to each other and how to live for him. You guys are a self-sufficient church, he says to them, built up and strong. What encouraging words, hey. Imagine being that church. Imagine the Apostle Paul saying that about us here. But then he changes gear a little bit in verse 15 to talk about himself. Have a look. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He says, even though you are a self-sufficient church, a godly church, I've been bold and frank with you in some of the things that I've said. Why? He says, because I'm a minister of Jesus to non-Jewish people, people like you. Or as he says in other places, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. He's saying, I've seen the risen Lord Jesus. He has specially commissioned me to teach and preach with his authority. It's my God-given job to serve and teach Gentiles like you about Jesus. In effect, he's saying, you should listen to me. You should pay attention to this letter that I'm writing to you because I have the right to tell you these things because I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. We have to remember, Paul hasn't been to this church before. And so he needs to explain his credentials a little bit. But what's really interesting is the way that he then speaks about his mission and his purpose. Have a look again. Verse 16. God has made him a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. Now those of you who have been around our church for a little while will have heard Phil say at some point or another, don't ever call me a priest. I'm not a priest. Jesus is your priest. You don't need any other human priest. You have Jesus. So why does Paul here say he is serving as a priest? Look closely at verse 16. The first clue is that he's serving as a priest of God's good news. He's not a priest of God's temple or even of God's church. He's a priest of the gospel. He's not a priest who offers sacrifices on behalf of the church. Instead, he teaches the gospel. And the second clue is in the word offering. An offering is what a priest does, doesn't it? An Old Testament priest brings offerings of food and animals to God. And he hopes and he prays and he works hard to make sure that his offerings will be acceptable to God and pleasing to him. Okay, that's what an Old Testament priest does. What does Paul do? Paul brings offerings, verse 16 says, not of food and animals, but people. As Paul preaches the gospel to Gentiles, it's as if he's offering up these Gentile Christians to God, hoping and praying and working hard so that they will be acceptable to God. And how? Will they be acceptable to God? Well, he says in the end of verse 16, they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, they hear the gospel, trust in Christ, 
God's Spirit makes them holy and acceptable to God. So Paul is actually not saying, I'm a priest who makes sacrifices on your behalf. No, those were done away with. He's saying, what I do is like what an Old Testament priest does. As I preach the gospel to the people and they become Christians, it's as if I'm offering them up to God and saying, look, they trust in Christ. Please accept them. This is how he serves as a priest, by preaching and teaching. And that right there is Paul's purpose. That is his heart and what he talks about all of this passage. That is what his life is about. He's been working hard for this purpose up until the day that he wrote this. Preaching the gospel to Gentiles so that they might trust in Christ and be saved. That's what his life is all about. You can see it all throughout the book of Acts if you've ever read it. The book of Acts, we, in the book of Acts, we see what he says in verse 20. He says, My aim is to evangelize, that speak the gospel, where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. He wants Gentiles everywhere to hear about the name of Jesus, the gospel, and put their faith in him. So he doesn't want to be an evangelist where there's already an evangelist. He doesn't want to plan a church where there's already a church to do that job of telling people about Jesus. No, he wants to go where the gospel hasn't gone yet. He wants verse 21, which we read in Isaiah before. Those who are not told about Jesus to see him. And those who have not heard about Jesus to understand him. And he wants to be the one to help them to see and understand who Jesus is, that he died for them and rose again for them. And that's exactly what he does. When you read the book of Acts, what do you see Paul doing? He goes to a city. He preaches the gospel to anyone who will listen. A church is formed. Then he appoints elders and leaders in the church. And then he disappears. Off he goes to another place to do the exact same thing. Because each church that he plants and appoints elders of are self-sufficient. They're able to reach out to that town or city with the gospel and so his job is done. And his passion and mission is to preach to those who have never heard it before. And you can tell that as well in verse 19. In verse 19, he boasts in what Christ has done through him, how God has been at work in his ministry. He says he has fully proclaimed the gospel all the way from Jerusalem around to Illyricum, which, when you look at it up here on the screen, is a massive space. It's three or 4,000 kilometers between Jerusalem and Illyricum. But Paul didn't just travel there in a straight line. He went back and forwards around the coast, across the sea, all over this part of the world between those two places. Why? Because his passion was Gentiles knowing about Jesus. Imagine for a moment that Paul came to Sydney on his travels. Sydney's not in this area, if your geography's not very good. But imagine for a moment that he did somehow end up in Sydney, modern-day Sydney. What would his goal be? What would he do here? I think 
all probably wouldn't stay in Sydney very long. Yes, there are thousands of people who have never heard the gospel in Sydney. But there are also many Bible-believing Christians in church who can do that job of sharing the gospel with others. So perhaps he wouldn't stay to build on others' foundation. If Paul did stay in Sydney, I think his goal would be to get the gospel into those communities or those parts of Sydney where people had never heard it. And I think this passage forces us to ask, do we have that same mindset? Do we have a passion like Paul for people to hear the gospel in new places, in communities that haven't heard about it before? Now, not every person is called to be a church planter like Paul, planting heaps of new churches everywhere. But I hope that some of you are called to do that and that you do it. Not everyone can imitate Paul exactly the same way in this, but we are to imitate his heart. His heart for mission, his passion and purpose and commitment to people hearing about Jesus who have never heard about him before. And that's what we are called to do in Sydney. That is Paul's past and his purpose. Preaching the gospel to Gentiles in new places. But now he talks about his plans for the future. And he starts by almost apologizing that he hasn't come and visited the Christians in Rome. In verse 22, he says, I haven't been able to come visit because of all this gospel preaching I've been doing all over the place. I haven't come to you because there are people who don't know Christ, but you do. So I need to go to other people first. But times have changed for Paul. He says this in verse 23. Have a look. But now I no longer have any work to do in these provinces, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. Which sounds good, right? He's established churches in all of these places, and he really wants to come and see the Christians in Rome. But he's coming, verse 24, whenever I travel to Spain, all the way to the west. Now we might expect Paul to say, I'm coming to see you for the sake of coming to see you. Imagine if your friend says, I'm coming to hang out with you tonight so that I can get somewhere else. Verse 24, he says, I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted for you by you for my journey to Spain once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Yes, he does want to see them. All the way back in chapter 1, which Kevin read out before, and it's on your outline, he said, I want to see you. To so that we can be mutually encouraged. I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. But I am not staying long. I am only passing through and I want you to support me financially so that I can get to Spain. And I can't help but wonder if some of the Romans were offended at what Paul said. So you're just coming to see us so that we, you can have our food and money and off you go. What would Paul say to that? He would say, well, no, I want to see you. I really do. But also, yes, 
I'm passing through you and asking for your help because the people of Spain need to hear the gospel. And that's what it's like when our CMS missionaries come home, isn't it? Whenever the Turners or the Beatties or the Shoals come home, it's so good to have them with us. It's so good to do life with them and to do church with them, to be encouraged by them and to encourage them back. That's good, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, I love those times. They encourage me to be bold for Jesus. But they need to go back. With sadness and joy, they need to leave us and go back to tell more people about Jesus. Paul's plans here, I think, give us insight into what's more important. It's more important for Gentiles to hear the gospel than for them to spend a long time together in Rome. The gospel is at times more important than friendship. In fact, it's always more important than friendship. And it's at this point that we realize what Paul has been doing all along. He's a sneaky man. He's saying, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I've preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. This is my sales pitch. That's why he boasts in what Christ has done through him so that they will support him. Who loves infomercials? We have two. iRobot Roomba is one of my favourite infomercials because it's just so strange. Does anyone have one of those? No one wants to admit it. I've always wondered whether we should get one for this room and then at the end of the night you just turn it on and off you go. Phil, you can tell us whether you agree with that later. This passage is Paul's infomercial about himself. What God is doing through him. Except it's interesting, unlike infomercials. Paul, for all his wisdom and incredible insight and passion, he's really practical. He's unashamed about the fact that he wants the Romans to help him. His passion is people coming to know Jesus And so he says, you should support me in doing that. God is bringing the Gentiles to faith in Christ through me and my ministry. Please support. So Paul's plan, come to visit Rome and then head on to Spain. But only after he completes an important project. In verse 25 and 26, he says this, Before I come to see you, I'm taking a gift from the Macedonian and Archaean Christians to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's the place Jesus died and rose again. It's the place where Christianity started and where Christians were heavily persecuted. So it seems Jewish Christians had become poor because of the persecution they were enduring. So Paul decides, I'm going to bring a generous gift from these churches in this region all the way to Jerusalem before I come to Rome and then off to Spain. If you haven't ever read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 before, go home this week, write it down, go home this week and read them. They are immensely encouraging chapters about how the Macedonian Christians gave generously in this very collection that Paul is taking to Jerusalem. But did you see the reason that Paul gave for this collection 
It's in verse 27. He says, because they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. They are obligated to share their material things with the Jews. Why? Because as Gentiles, they have received the spiritual blessings of Israel. Their promises, their Messiah. This is what we saw last year in Romans 9-11, to isn't it? Part of our faithfulness to God is recognizing Jesus is Jewish. And we non-Jews have received the spiritual blessings promised to Israel. And so if we have the opportunity, we should proclaim to Jewish people, Jesus is your Messiah, and we should care for Jewish Christians in need. Then Paul finishes up this compelling call for support tells us about his plans, and he he gives us a plea for prayer. In verse 30 30, 30 to 33. So just read out verse 33 with me. I'll read it out and you listen. Follow along. And notice his concern. He says, Now I appeal to you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to join with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Not only does Paul ask for support to get to Spain, finances, but he asks for prayer that all of these plans that he's been talking about will come to pass. He's saying, please join me in my struggle in prayer. Pray for protection from the unbelievers who would want to hurt me. Pray that the saints accept the gift that I'm bringing them and don't reject it. Pray that I will get to see you in Rome soon and safely. And I think those verses are a clear reminder for us. We are not in control. God is. None of our efforts or plans to share the gospel or care for people or anything that we do will be successful if God doesn't protect us, if God doesn't give us strength and change people's hearts. We, like Paul, need to be dependent on God, submit our plans and efforts to him in prayer rather than thinking that we can do all these things ourselves. And we also need our prayers to be shaped by Paul's prayer here and his heart for mission and care for those who are in need. So we've seen Paul's past and purpose, his plans and his plea for prayer in lots of peace. Paul's past and his plans and his prayers, they're all about reaching the Gentiles reaching them with the gospel of Jesus and caring for the saints in need. And what I want us to do for a moment now is to stop and think, do we share Paul's heart? Are our goals in life and our plans for the future shaped like Paul's? By a great concern that people need to hear the gospel, the gospel of Christ crucified, and that they need to put their trust in him. As I said before, we might not all have the specific job of taking the gospel to places that it has never been before. Though I hope that some of us do. We may not all be able to imitate Paul exactly in that way, but what we can imitate in Paul is his heart and his continued mission and Jesus' work in this world, sharing the gospel so that others can know Christ and be accepted by him. We can imitate Paul's heart for the lost here in the gospel 
and play our part in sharing the gospel and supporting it going out to all around the world. And so as Paul shared his past and plans and prayers, I want us to, think, I want us to stop and think about our past and our plans and our prayers. What does your past year look like? And the things that you have thought and done, what do they tell you about your purpose? If someone looked at your past year and the way that you spent your time and money, what would they say is your purpose and passion in life? Could they say, Jesus and the gospel going to people all around the world and in Sydney and caring for Christians was your passion? Have you given to and prayed for our missionaries? Have you given yourself to care for the Christians in this room? If you know your past year hasn't done that, or if you're not sure, then determine that your next year will be like that. Speaking of next year, let's think about our plans. What are your plans for the future about? And what's the primary motivator in your decision-making for the future? Is it money? Or is it health? Or is it comfort or fun experiences? Or the prospect of a relationship or marriage? Does God's mission get a say in your decision-making? Does caring for the saints in need have any sway on what you think about and what you plan to do? Do you make plans that are about the gospel going to more people? Do you make plans to support Christians in need? If you don't know or you're not sure, then pray and ask God to grow your heart for the gospel going to all people and for a heart for the care of fellow believers. And as we're speaking about prayer, let's think about prayer. What are your prayers about? What are they focused on? Are they about what God is doing in the world or are they just about the immediate circumstances you're facing? This is a passage where I think that I've been mo- this is the part of the passage I've been most challenged by. To pray for God's mission and to care for his people, praying for that is actually an integral part of doing those things. So I need to repent of my lack of prayer and my lack of dependence on God for these things. So if you know that your prayers aren't like this or you're not sure, then meditate on Paul's heart here in Romans 15. See his heart and passion for the lost and for his church and imitate it. Let's imitate Paul's heart in our purpose and our plans and our prayers and imitate his heart for the saints in need and for the gospel going out to all people. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his heart and passion and purpose of telling people the good news of Christ crucified and for caring for the saints in need. Thank you that you rescued him from danger and that he got to Jerusalem and even got to Rome even though he was a prisoner. Lord, we don't know for sure if he ever made it to Spain, but we thank you that Paul shared the gospel wherever he was and that he boldly made plans to share your gospel with those who had never heard it. We thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ 
in dying and rising for us, that great message. And we pray that you would help us to have that same passion that Paul had. A passion and purpose for our plans and prayers to be shaped by this great concern that all people know about Jesus and your church be cared for. Please bring many people to trust in Christ through our efforts and our plans and our prayers. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.